This is Emily Waringa, and you're listening to Frequency. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. This is Joe, and I get to start at this time because Dan is my friend and occasionally takes turns. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> You'd have no idea how to respond to somebody else doing the intro, do you? Yeah, I feel awkward. I feel, that's, that's... I'm just going to sit back. You just do the whole thing. Oh, okay. Um, no. Hey, um, I have an idea. Let's, let's engage with our audience and see if they'll do the intro for us. We could have them record something and then just send it in. That was your idea when we started to record this one the first time and started over again because um, you started insulting our audience. <laughs> Not really. No, no. But yeah, the idea part, yes. I'll take full credit for that. But in in all seriousness, if, uh, if you're savvy and you want to record yourself and, and do an intro, it can be fun or funny or however you, or as serious as you want, and you want to be artsy, uh, we'll take it. And if it's good, we'll use it on the podcast. So if you record some audio, send it to info at frequency.fm and we will use it. Yeah. And that goes for you too, Hannah and your husband, Warren. You guys could record something very cool between the two of you and send it our way. That would be awesome. That would be so cool. And actually, if people recorded greetings, we'd probably post them on our website, wouldn't we? That would require effort. <laughs> well, we're all about connection, Joe. This is a community, remember? Oh, you and community. I just <laughs> like to isolate myself on a little island off the coast of, let's say, Maine. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, Maine's That's actually you. close to me. Yeah. You just you'd missed actually... the reference completely. You just... Uh, oh, well. <laughs> I'm I'm slower. It's it's you know, it's it's PEI time out here. I'm sorry, it is eleven o'clock out there. It's only seven here, but I do have the six year old who's thinking, I wonder if dad is going to make me uh sloppy joes. <laughs> I'm surprised your wife hasn't checked in on you to find out if you fed your child. Um, she has several times. And <laughs> um and, and I pretend like the answer is yes. There you go. Well we'll we'll make this a quick one then, Joe. Now, Dan, I think it's time that we start talking about who you you interviewed, Mr. Yes. Dan, interviewing another person for the second time. This is so exciting. <laughs> I actually interviewed somebody, yes. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Um, I actually had the opportunity to interview Daniel Darling, Dan Darling. Um, I asked him, it doesn't matter what you call him, as long as it's a, in a Dan variety, and uh, which is it's cool to remember because it's my name, um, but... <laughs> I feel like such an idiot. <laughs> okay. I've been standing for f 53 minutes. Okay. So Dan's <laughs> been standing because um, the only chair to sit on has metal legs and he doesn't want to scratch the floor. Apparently, though, the uh, he's his brain is in his feet because the, the more we record, the less cogent he sounds. So um, he's tired. All I want to do is laugh. So you interviewed Dan Darling. So who is Dan Darling for the uninitiated? Yeah, so actually Dan Darling is, is an author, and he's been writing since uh, before the interwebs. Um, he's been a pastor in Chicago area, and uh, 
more recently, I met him, and he actually used my office and drove my van, actually, uh, when he wow. was a, a guest and a speaker for uh, the Gospel Coalition Conference in Atlantic Canada, which is where I live, and I'm involved in the conference. So I had the opportunity to, to get to know him and his wife. And uh, Dan recently left the pastorate and is now working for the Ethics Commission in the United States. And it is, it's a busy job, and he's, he's the director of communications, basically. And he does what we do on the podcast. He interviews other people and authors and writers and um, creatives. Um, he interviews uh, people, politicians, basically anything to do with, with Christian ethics in politics and government and the effect on the church and family. So he has a big job, yeah. And uh, but we we wanted to talk to him specifically about writing and about what it's like as a writer in his in his world and his realm of influence. And he actually has a lot of wisdom, and he shares a lot of wisdom in the interview. So much so, we'll try to leave as much of it as we can in the interview for you. Uh, we did take a snippet and put it as a wise words a little earlier about uh, what it's like to be a writer and some of his perspectives on writing. Uh, but I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Uh, he And because he does this for a living, he's actually really well-spoken, so I didn't have to edit a whole lot. So I think you'll really get a lot out of this interview. Excellent. So let's not waste any more time and uh, move ahead to the interview with Dan and Dan Darling. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Dan from Frequency, and I'm joined by a friend of mine, someone I met just over a year ago. His name is Daniel Darling, and he's currently the Vice President of, for Communications for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. But I've also known him in the past to be a pastor and one of the previous speakers at the Gospel Coalition Atlantic Canada. Dan, how are you? Doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, is it Dan or Daniel, do you prefer? You know, I've been called both. Um, officially, it's Daniel, but most people call me Dan. Okay. So, I, I mean, honestly, as long as you don't call me late for dinner, I'm, I'm <laughs> cool. So. Now, you're married and you have kids. And, yes, uh, I your, do. Your wife is Angela? Mm-hmm. Right. And she's from Texas, right? Yeah, she is. And you'll you'll know that as soon as you meet her. She's definitely from Texas. <laughs> um, you can take the girl out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of the girl. Right? There you go. Now, I say that because I had the chance to spend some time with you guys. And I have to say, she was one of the most dynamic people I have ever met. Yes. And she was fantastic to talk to and hilarious. And uh, we really enjoyed our time with you guys. Um, just for background, uh, you guys came to a conference that we put on here locally in Prince Edward Island. Um, but it is actually the Gospel Coalition, and you were one of our speakers. And uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot to talk about it, but your experience with the Gospel Coalition, has it uh, that experience, was it beneficial for you? Um, you know, what were your, some of your takeaways of being a TGC speaker? Oh, that was it was fantastic. In fact, my wife and I still talk about what a great time we had with you guys. And, uh, I mean, first of all, to, to be in uh, PEI was just 
was amazing. My wife loved it. I loved it. It's a beautiful slice of Canada, slice of the world. Uh, just a, a great place to be. But even even greater was just you know the fellowship and the and the and the good times we had with uh, the people at TGC Atlantic Canada. Just just hanging with fellow Christians and and uh, fellowshipping, hearing preaching, and just just worshiping together. I mean, the worship was was fantastic. We it was one of the best, most enriching times of our lives. We really enjoyed it. Well, that's that's great to hear, and not just because I'm from it, but I <laughs> I get to experience it, not just in the planning, but I get to actually participate. And uh, I have to say, I have been to other conferences, and I have been to uh, TGC National Convention. Um, and there's huge benefits of being in a large conference setting, um, you know, with music and, you know, like we got to experience uh, singing with the Gettys and even recording with them uh, for one of their evenings. So I'll, I'll never um, speak illy of a large conference, but uh, I do find that what we're trying to do here is working. Although, you know, there's always tweaks and, you know, we are, we are in Canada and we are in a small part of Canada uh, but we are trying to reach out to pastors of churches of 50 or less. So how do you get a budget from a small church to go to a national conference? So that's the whole purpose in, in bringing people like you here. So um, we get the great benefit of interacting with you because it's a smaller setting. So um, that's definitely a benefit for us here in Atlanta, Canada, to have people like you come. Um, but I'll transition out of that. Um, at that time, you were actually a pastor in Chicago, mm-hmm. and um, so you're not a pastor in Chicago now. So what no. what kind of happened in your life, and and what was that transition like? Yeah, so um, you know, we pastored for I, I pastored for five years in um, the Chicago area, Gages Lake Bible Church, um, which is a uh, a great church in the Chicago land suburbs, northern suburbs near Wisconsin. Enjoyed it, loved it, loved preaching, loved pastoring. Um, uh, I'd always had kind of a, you know, I, I had a writing ministry. Uh, I've written for a lot of different publications and I've written a few books. And I've always kind of been, I felt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Mm-hmm. And so always wrote about that. And um, last year, um, Russell Moore uh, became the president of these, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, it's an it's an agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. And essentially, our we have two roles: we represent Southern Baptists uh, in the public square on moral and ethical issues, uh, and then we also try to equip pastors and church leaders on how to deal with these issues. And so, it's a very important agency, given that the Southern Baptists are the uh, largest Protestant denomination uh, in North America. So. Right. Um, Dr. Moore became the president. I'd always been a, an admirer of his. I love the way he he applies the gospel of the kingdom to the culture. I love his his tone. And um, he asked me. I was humbled, you know, that he asked me to serve on his team mm-hmm. uh, as vice president of communications. Um, and so we we really wrestled with it because we loved our church. We loved where we were. We loved what God was doing there. Right. Um, we got a lot of advice, but then we just felt the Lord calling us to do this role. Um, and so it was hard to leave. That area, but also we feel this is something God has really called us to, and so now we're, you know, I'm having an opportunity to kind of help shape, kind of evangelicals in this new post-Christian age. How do we uh, engage some of these moral and ethical issues, and how do we represent Christ well in the public square? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you being an author and speaking to some of the issues, uh, but also 
being a pastor, being a shepherd and having, mm-hmm. you know, a shepherd's heart, it has to actually uh, be an advantage for you um, because you, you know, your, your calling and your desire is to get the word out and to preach the word. Um, and what better way than to actually uh, have a larger or public forum for that? Um, but do you find do you find it difficult to come out of a quote unquote pastoral role into more of an administrative um, executive role? Yeah, I mean, there's there's pluses and minuses. I mean, you know, it's hard because I love preaching every week. I'm, I just loved, you know, going through a book of the Bible with the same people every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing him grow. And I, and I still feel, and this is one of the reasons I love my role now is that, you know, we really feel that where, where the primary change is happening is in churches, local churches across the, the country and the world. I mean, that's where God is doing his best work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and yet I, I felt like it's a really great opportunity to help equip pastors and equip churches and come alongside them to help give them some of the tools uh, in order to to face some of these difficult issues, uh, and so uh, it, you know it was it was a little bit you know there's it was a little bit of mixed emotions, but I'm you know we're really enjoying it, and uh, I, I think being a pastor does help me in my role because I'm always constantly thinking in my head what kind of content can we give the pastor who is very busy? He's got a hundred things on his plate. He wants to speak to. An issue. He wants to know how the gospel applies to, but he doesn't have time to read this huge book on ethics, or he doesn't have time to download that lecture mm-hmm. and watch it. Here's yeah. maybe one or two page thing that we can give to help equip him with that. And so I feel gratified that I can kind of do that. Yeah. Now I am a pastor and I am, I'm working with students and actually um, I've used one of your books in the past, you know, going through um, different issues of faith, um, Old Testament. I've gone through some in the New Testament. Um, but this fall, the kids are wanting to dig deeper into issues. They want to talk about hot topics. They want to talk about how do you deal with homosexuals today and, and um, you know, how they discuss it in their culture. And, you know, they're interacting with teens in their high school who are claiming to be homosexuals. And um, mm-hmm. so I do find, yeah, it's it's difficult to just go out. You, you know, you could buy five books and try to read them all. But when you're in the trenches, um, you're, you're trying to come up with answers. Um, and you may not be, feel equipped. You may not be able to get the right answers um, in, you know, a timely fashion. So definitely if you're, if you're um, you know, helping the church and equipping the church, but also representing the church in a sense, um, it's a great resource because definitely uh, things like the, the Gospel Coalition, great resource because it's topical. Uh, but you guys, uh, I think, go a step further because you're focused on what's happening in the culture and actually responding to the point where uh, you guys are involved in uh, news agencies. So at any given point in time, you'll have to be called on to television, correct? Yeah, it uh, especially Dr. Moore. I mean, he's increasingly um, kind of a the point person for evangelicals to talk about you know things that come up in in the in the culture, right. new stories that happen. And, and I think one of the things that's really, really, really um, interesting about what we get to do is these issues are coming to the doorstep of the church and the doorstep of our home, whether we want to or not. And so especially issues of sexuality and, and purity and homosexuality, 
we're being forced to wrestle with these things, whether we want to or not. Um, mm-hmm. Issues of conscience, um, issues of good Christian witness, um, and so I think I think what we're doing is increasingly important. And we also want to model a tone for Christians, and this is how we talk about things like this, and this is how we interact with people who we might disagree with, right? Uh, and model a, a really what what. <laughs> Russell Moore calls a convictional kindness where we have deep convictions, but we also do it with, with kindness. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a great approach because oftentimes uh, there are bloggers out there, there are media pers- people out there um, claiming uh, to be Christians that can be combative. I mean, you look at issues that, you know, if you go through your Facebook feed, you know, this week, um, there's mm-hmm. a lot about guys like Mark Driscoll, and a lot about, yeah. uh, you know, ho- homosexuality, a lot of the hot topic stuff. And I, you can you can um, tend to see more negative than positive. You know, where's the let's pray for them? Where's, you know, let's uh, seek to build the church up. Um, so, yeah, definitely. That's a great approach. Um, because if you're going to be a voice for the church and to, to represent them, the last thing we need to do is to be another example of why people tend to reject the church because they're frustrated by what they perceive the church to be, uh, like what their voice is. Yeah, I agree. And, and um, y- you know, there's two extremes that I think we want to do is there's frustration with maybe the way that evangelicals have historically engaged these issues uh, maybe wrongly. Um, mm-hmm. and so there's a there's the temptation to kind of pull into our retreat into our Christian subculture and not engage the world, engage engage the questions. And then there's the other extreme is to just be so politically driven and focused that we we put our politics and our patriotism ahead of our Christianity. And so I think the proper response is that we need to be engaged in the world. If we have a good doctrine of creation, if we believe that, as Abraham Kuyper said, that not one square inch is not uh, under the domain of, of, of the Lord, that, and if we read like Jeremiah talking to the exiles, that we should seek the welfare of our city, mm-hmm. seek its flourishing, we should care about the social structures that make it up and yep. what kind of society we're leaving for our children. Um, we, we, we care about it. We should care about our cities, especially as in North America where – uh, we have an opportunity to shape our governments, you know, and uh, yeah. we have kind of a stewardship. And so, how do we how do we handle that? What does it look like? And I think Christians are wrestling with that. And yeah, so uh, the the ERLC is that would it be considered a lobbyist group, or is it just a like a third party standalone organization from the United States perspective? Now, I'm from Canada, that's why I'm asking these questions. You know, we don't like to we're not, I like to use the term lobbyist. I think we're, we're advocacy. And so we really have two missions. I tell people this. We have an office in Washington, D.C. that is <clears throat> very robust. We do a lot of stuff on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're meeting with uh, congressmen and, and with the White House and coalition partners, people who are like-minded think tanks, trying to shape the conversation and also advocate. I mean, we'll file amicus briefs and we'll uh, – the Supreme Court in support of, say, Hobby Lobby, mm-hmm. for instance, yeah. and religious liberty – um, we'll write letters to appropriate public officials. We do a lot of that work. That's very, very important to us. Um, you know, because we we have an opportunity to be a voice for Southern Baptists, mm-hmm. and people will listen because it's the largest Protestant denomination. We try to steward that influence very well and speak um, well on that. And then right. the second part is to equip 
the church. And I think that's where, since Dr. Moore's been here, we've leaned in a lot on that last part um, while still maintaining our advocacy. So that that's kind of our, our mission. And so I think as we influence Southern Baptists and as we influence the culture or uh, advocate on behalf of Southern Baptists, we're, we're also helping broader evangelicals. And I think not just in United States, but you think of a country like Canada that's so so intrinsically linked to the United States in many ways. Yeah. You know, countries will look and say, okay, here's what's here's some of the issues going on there. How's that going to look like in our country? Mm-hmm. And they do have direct impa- impacts. Yeah. Um, you know, even something as simple as a company buying another company, which is mm-hmm. even online today with Tim Hortons and yeah. and uh, Burger King, for example. Um, you know, I'm watching the interaction with people frantic about the economy because of it. Um, yeah. You know, people automatically respond to things. Uh, instantaneously, even if they don't have all the information, um, you know, because if you know the background of Tim Hortons, Wendy's was already part of Tim Hortons, so it was already linked to the U.S. <laughs> so not a whole lot's changed. It's just gotten a lot bigger and different. You know ownership. what I'm hoping? I'm hoping that we get Tim Hortons here. <laughs> Tim Hortons. And I was thinking last night, I first I read this and I thought, so we're trading with Canada? We're going to trade you Burger King? We'll get Tim Hortons? Like, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> you want Timbits. There you go. But I'm like, I don't think Canada's going to do that trade. So <laughs> that would be cool. You know, yeah. I think one of the other things we're doing too, Dan, and, you know, beyond just political elections, you know, from one election to the other, but we're trying to help pastors and church leaders, whether it's America or Canada or wherever you're pastoring, to th- what does it look like, the gospel of the kingdom? How does it affect the way I engage the culture around me? We all live in a culture. We all live in time and place. What what does that look like? Um, and I think that's why I think we've got a real opportunity now to help shape this next generation. No, that's great. And um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you some questions because yeah. you're, you're an artist um, in the author sense. Um, so you write, uh, you've written a number of books. Um, but what actually got you into writing in the first place? Because um, I know a lot of our listeners are often trying to figure out how did that happen? You know, like, did you just start writing one day? Was it a high school thing? You know, what what um, gave you that desire to write? Was it God-given gift or, you know, a miracle from, you know, from heaven? How yeah. did that all turn out? Well, you know, it's funny. It, it actually was a high school thing. So I went to a Christian school, small Christian school, and I had a teacher um, who— was was looking at some of my assignments in my English literature class. And, you know, I was just kind of one of those in-between kids. I wasn't terribly athletic, but I wasn't – I was kind of chunky. I was just like, okay, what am I good at? I was kind of a leader, but not sure. Hmm. And I had one of my teachers read some of my writing and say, man, you, I think, Dan, that you have a gift here that you should cultivate. And, and, and it was – she kind of really gave me confidence that I can keep writing – and I have to be honest, that was really a huge catalyst. And she pushed me and said, you need to write for these local competitions and these state things. And so I would do essay um, writing on political issues, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and I won a couple competitions. And then I just had a love of writing. I would write poems and essays and stuff in high school. And then, you know, throughout whatever jobs I've had, um, whether it's, um, you know, I worked in a large Christian ministry for a long time, managing their write. Their, their publications. And then I was pastoring for five, six years. And then I'm here. I've always been a writer, you know, and I've always enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's the one thing I can do. I can't do a lot of other things. I can't, <laughs> I can't do a lot of other things. Well, I, I should say you can build uh, things for the backyard for your children. I saw some pictures. Well, yeah, if you knew how long that took. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, what my advice to, to people is, you know, I, I never envisioned the platform I have and, and all the great places I get to write for. I mean, gosh, I get to write for Christianity Today, which I grew up reading and mm-hmm. and, all, and writing books and but you know the thing that I that I really feel strongly about is, especially for writers, but any gift, is just write and write well and write a lot. I mean, the only way to become a good writer is just to write mm-hmm. and do it well and do it well for a long time to the glory of God when nobody's seeing it. And today, really, there's more opportunities. I mean, when I first started, there was no blogging, there was nothing, so you had to submit articles to magazines and publications right. and see if they would take it. There was no way to kind of test your writing and work it out. Mm-hmm. And so now with blogging, you know, if you're faithful with it and you keep writing and keep writing, keep working on it, keep working on it, you know, good content will get discovered. Good content will get discovered and will get published and will rise to the top. Always does, no matter what's going on in the industry. So I always just encourage people just to keep writing, keep doing it, keep mm-hmm. nurturing that gift for the glory of God. And whatever happens in terms of success is really that's up to the Lord. And honestly, you know, if you write something and one person, you know, is blessed in their Christian life or, or, or maybe they're not even a believer and they become a believer that then really that's, that's all that matters. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great wisdom actually. Now you've, you've written a number of books. Uh, one specifically though was a co-write. Uh, did you want to talk about how you, yeah. you came to do a co-write with the book Activist Faith? Yeah. So my first four books I wrote myself a uh, couple devotional books, and then uh, a couple of other books. Uh, I Faith is one on prayer, and then Real is one on growing up uh, in the church. Um, this last one was written with my friend Dylan Burroughs and another friend Dan King. And we took 12 really kind of hot topics that were swirling in the culture at the time and um, said, okay, here's what you need to think through about them. Here's why these are important, why Christians should care. Um, but here's what you can do in your local community. So the, the whole idea was, yeah, like, like pro, I am very pro-life. I vote for pro-life candidates. I advocate for it, write about it. But, you know, in between elections, there's a lot we can do. And I really advocated in there for crisis pregnancy centers. And here's how you can save babies that are in your community. Mm, yeah. um, and so things like that. So each issue, poverty, here's what you can do. And here's why we should be involved. Um, so really, really excited about that book. It's people have People have kind of used it as a tool to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my next book's coming out next year sometime, and it's um, it's called uh, – tentatively called uh, Disappointed with Jesus, From the Christ We Want to the Christ Who Is. And I basically take 10 ideas of Jesus that we have in evangelical life that I feel are distortions or incomplete, and I kind of deconstruct those. And okay. you know, So, for instance, the red letter – Christians that they're good brothers and sisters, but yeah, I only follow the red letters of Jesus. And I kind of just walk through and say that why this really doesn't hold with what the Bible reveals. And so things like that. So I'm excited about that. 
anyways, that's yeah. the sales pitch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's that's why we exist. We we don't sell a product. This this is about learning about people and why they why they do what they do and and uh, try to get good resources into people's hands. Um, now you've you've put on your website you've got a number of different possibilities for for writing. You've got one called Tone, Speaking with Grace and Truth in the Public Square. Uh, mm-hmm. Are these ideas or are these things that are actually you you hope to have to to come to fruition or was that before you ended up in your current role? <laughs> you know, those are probably, um, you know, just ideas that I have for books that I've got up there that I'd love to work on at some point, you know? So are you a title guy first or a content guy first? You know, uh, it depends. Sometimes I just get ideas. Yeah. Like I get a title and I get an idea and then just fill it out. And here's a funny thing is you pitch an idea and you pitch a proposal. You maybe write a first chapter, you lay out like, here's the chapters and then you get a, then the publisher says, yeah, let's do it. And then it's like, oh, I actually have to fill this with content. Like I actually actually have to execute this. Like, you know, like it sounds great. And then I actually have to write it. So the the thing about writers is like you, at the same time you love writing and you hate it. Like you love writing, but I really love having written. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Actually a couple of them that were my favorites, I will say is, I'm the problem. Yeah. The liberating reality of original sin. I mean, just right there. I mean, you could sell books just on that title. Yeah. Um, I, I, you'd think so. And I pitched that a little bit, but it's people still are real, like, people don't want to talk about sin. You'd think they would be, but it's it's just... got to be bubble gum and lollipops. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Another one is is The Dad I Want to Be. I thought that that was a great title. The reality yeah, of our, he, you know, spiritual leadership. That's come out too. Like, and one thing I've noticed, you probably have too, having children, like God uses like relationships, especially getting married and then having kids that really sanctify you. Like, oh yeah, you know, we all, I thought I was going to be an, just an all-star dad. I mean, I, I thought, man, I'm, I grew up a Christian. I'm going to be great. And then I actually had kids and it's like, wow, yeah, this is hard. And I actually don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can totally relate. Um, yeah. And actually that leads me basically to the, the last question was, um, how is um, who you are now and the role that you're in affected your family life? Um, and how are they adjusting to moving? Um, you know, how is how is family life all kind of playing out now? Has it been difficult for you? You know, it's been good in many ways just because, I mean, we we loved where we were in the Chicago area and, and our, in our community. Um, we had a great church community that loved us and was so good to us. Um, my daughter really had some good deep friendships. She's nine. So moving was a little hard on her because, um, she has to build new friendships. She's really good at it, but it was kind of hard, but for the most part, it was good. Um, it's a different season in our life. It's, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit busier traveling a little bit more, but then there's other areas that are really good. I mean, for one thing, this is the first time in a long, long, long time that I'm, I'm attending church and, not the pastor. Like I'm a church <laughs> member. And that took a little bit of adjustment, but actually it's it's kind of refreshing. Um, now, did so you end up being pulpit supply? <laughs> yeah, and I have done. In fact, this last month I've been preaching um, at a church, at a small church around here that the pastor is is um, on sabbatical. And so that, that has been fun, but I'm still actually enjoying just attending church and hearing preaching and you know god has different seasons of life and our family's adjusting well we love tennessee we love nashville mm, yeah my wife likes being in the south so it's it's all in all it's been it's been good for us great less snow yeah definitely less <laughs> snow in fact 
and you would appreciate this. Yes. You know, so this year we moved to Tennessee in September and dodged a major bullet because Chicago area had the worst winter since the year I was born, 1978. It was, <laughs> I've seen a lot of bad winters. I mean, a lot of them. Yeah. Well, you, you've probably seen my, my social media feed from last yeah. winter. This was the worst winter, and I we moved in September. We totally dodged it. We yeah. get to Nashville. Well, Nashville's had its worst winter since 85. But let me tell you something. It was nothing. <laughs> I mean, it got down to maybe seven degrees. People here are freaking out. They're screaming. They're, and I'm like, are you serious? This is as bad as it gets? This what, is great. What? No one and, freaks out about weather down there. I mean, they're, they're great drivers in man, Nashville, aren't they? <laughs> and my kids are playing outside in January at 70 degrees. I'm like, this is fantastic. I wow. love this. Well, I'm a, so, bit, I'm a bit envious because uh, we live in a winter wonderland most of the time. And there are, there are certain aspects of that that are great. Um, but yeah, uh, we lost two weeks of school this past year. My kids loved it. But. And you guys don't cancel unless it's like an apocalypse, right? <laughs> you're used to that. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, we have to basically cancel it if the uh, provincial, uh, or in your case, it would be the state police close the roads. That's when we cancel. Yeah. Other yeah. than that, yeah, people can walk. You know, we can get our snowmobiles out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I appreciate you sharing with us. Um, you know, is there uh, anything that, website that you want to share that people can go and visit you um anything any kind of links that you want people to go to to find out more about you and who you are and what you're yeah you could just go in. to my website danieldarling.com i've got my books up there and my blogs and i try to link to all the articles i'm writing in different places and uh, i'm actually working on a redesign which i'm pretty excited it should be fun but uh yeah danieldarling.com and then erlc.com is you know the organization we I uh, work for, and we, we have some great, just good content on how to interact with different issues, and I think it'll be it's really helpful stuff for, for a lot of folks. Well, awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today, and, uh, and God bless. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time to interview Mr. Darling there. And um, I, I have to admit that probably what resonates with me most is just him speaking to what it takes in terms of discipline to um, just plow ahead and write and write frequently and get better in your writing by doing it on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. And he and I liked what he said about getting noticed that it's, it's better now or easier now to get noticed. Anyone can get noticed if they write a blog. You just have to be consistent at it. I love the fact that he's basically saying that you don't have to go somewhere or send stuff away constantly and sit and wait and wonder if anyone's ever going to take your work. Your work will get discovered if you're on the web. And that's the difference between now and 15, 20 years ago or pre-mid-90s. Uh, so I thought that was that was good wisdom. They just got to keep at it and uh, just keep it out there. Again, thanks for the interview, Dan. It was a it was nice to listen to. And again, anytime I don't have to edit the interview, and you know, you put a lot of effort into that. I appreciate that. It's nice to have a little break. Yeah. So wonderful. Actually, I th I think the roles were reversed. I used to do all the editing, and then somehow it passed on to you. Yeah, I don't know. I'm actually was thinking about filing suit. <laughs> I, 
I think Wait a it's minute, almost that's like it's, yeah, it's almost like I've been lazy. No, and I know that's not true. <laughs> but uh, I well, anyway, I take ownership of my interviews to the point where I'm almost embarrassed to have people hear what the interview sounds like beforehand, because I just tend to ramble. And then I have to clean myself up. The, the guests always sound great, but I have to get rid of things like, and then what? And then what? You know, where I sound like an idiot. But Or saying the word absolutely. No, not at all. Indeed. Indeed, yes. That is a Steve Daw-ism. And Steve Daw is a pastoral intern that works with me right now. And one of our contributors. And he's a, a, now a regular contributor. He's, he's done more than one, and... Um, he's our scholar. He's our on-hand lawyer, scholar, philosopher, and theologian. We love him. He's awesome. It's true. It's great to have an intern, and an intern who's actually 40 years old, has already done his school, and still wants to help us. Yeah, which suggests perhaps he needs help. <laughs> this having been said, I want to transition now. <laughs> because we said we keep this short, and 78 minutes later. So you may have noticed... Uh, you may have noticed on the website recently, we've introduced the quick review. Hopefully you've noticed that. If not, go check it out. But for the sake of being able to review more music, uh, we've introduced the quick review, which allows us to rate uh, each album on a seven-point scale from one to ten and uh, and then put some thoughts in there. But it'll tell you, here, this is effectively what we thought of the album. And as Dan can attest, um, we're not unkind, but we are honest. Yeah, I think, yeah, if there's anything that we will be unapologetic about, it's we're, we're not just, just going to say everything's good, because sometimes it's not. And we can be, we'll always find something good in something, but sometimes you just have to speak truth. And sometimes you have to say, your baby's ugly, as we have said on Numerous other blog occasions. posts. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, we we hope people understand that. And... We always say that when people send us their music, just so you know, you know, do you want us to be honest or not? We, we give them a chance to say, we'd rather you didn't review it. That's cool too. But yeah, it's an opportunity to get more reviews into people's hands just for reference. We're not, we know people are not going to agree with us. You know, I know people that love Lecrae. I don't listen to Lecrae. He's a great guy. I'm just not into rap. It's just reality. So I, I'll typically not do a review on Lecrae. But if somebody does, like Steve Daw, for example, then he'll do a review on him. Uh, we, we try to be uh, fair in everything that we do yeah. as far as reviews. One thing I do want to say, because it, some people may not recognize this, is because it's such a broad scale, I don't generally give out 10s, because 10 would imply a level of perfection that, frankly, nobody... Uh, nobody is going to meet. So uh, when you look at our quick reviews, understand that anything uh, with an average of seven or above is something that we actually liked. Mm -hmm. And even anything from, let's say, five to seven, we haven't got anything that low yet, but is still a decent album and has its merits. Um, but yeah. I want to make sure people understand that, uh, that, if, that, that nobody's going to get a 10. So if you get above a seven or you, the album that you are looking to buy gets more than a seven, it's probably a safe bet. Now, we could do a whole podcast episode on on perspectives on music, because you and I love music, and we it's do true. listen to a lot of it. Um, I will say, though, and maybe we'll have to bring this up as a topic for another day, is I'm seeing trends 
even recently in um, Christian, quote-unquote, music, um, specifically the worship genre, mm. um, worship music genre, I should say, um, I see a lot of um, following of certain styles, uh, styling. You know, oh, yeah. when a new album's coming out, I can literally compare it to Hillsong or Bethel music or, um, you know, New World Roots style. Um, there seems to be, like, the banjos are the in thing. Everyone's got to mm-hmm. get a banjo. Then it's the Dijambe. Then it's something else. I And then you'll see it translated. As soon as a song gets released, everyone in, in their worship teams on Sunday morning, you'll see it on your Facebook feed. All of a sudden, people are playing banjos in church, and they never would have done it a week ago, and all of a sudden, they're doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I really like to... You know, to t- tackle that, maybe that's just a, like a whole podcast on its own. You know, give us feedback. Let us know what you think about, you know, genres of music and how the Christians are responding to, you know, new types of music. Am I, am I way off base? No, no. But I have an idea. We were talking about doing a dual podcast episode with the folks at uh, Worship Ministry Catalyst. That mm-hmm. would be a great topic of conversation for the four of us. What do you think? Actually, I think that's even better, Joe. That's a great idea because it's not just going to be our um, seemingly biased perspective because we 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 drive this ship here. So yeah, having another podcast will be perfect because th- that's what those guys talk about a lot. So yeah, maybe I may end up playing devil's ag- advocate a little bit. I'll have to do my homework. Um, but I just, I see trends and I watch them. I'm a worship leader. You're a worship leader. Um and but I mean that in the true sense of the word worship, where we lead people on a Sunday morning through the whole liturgy of service. Yes, and music is just one aspect of it. Um, you know, because that's even another topic. Um, how you know we have conferences that's our worship conference. Does that mean it's a tithing conference? You know, like yeah, we know. we throw out the word worship so loosely. I think we really have to rein that back in. But you but were on again, a roll tonight, man. <laughs> it's been on my mind, and I think about it on Sunday morning. I literally spoke about it because I'm just so passionate about how we do things and why we do them. We just kind of roll through these things. Everyone's so passionate about talking down about certain things or, you know, Michael Gunger one day, um, you know, like all these different, you know, and, and I, it was... Uh, you know, we, we talk about prosperity gospel guys the other day, Oh boy, yeah. you know, like you could just go on a rant, but when do we ever talk about what it means to truly worship and who are we worshiping instead of just talking about trends and styles and people and, you know, anyways, I'm getting on a rant, but I was just going to say, you you seem very passionate about this. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about this again, but not today. So, exactly. And the dogs are going crazy and I got to feed the boy <laughs> a sloppy Joe. So, so tell us, tell, tell the good people who are now holding their heads stunned by your diatribe and let them know <laughs> how they can connect with us for more great information that Dan is passionate about on our social media networks. Yes, you can always connect with us on Twitter. Uh, Joe and I are both connected there at Frequency FM. And if you ever want to engage with us personally, that's fine too. Joe is just Joe Brookhouse, and I am Dan Thompson MM. And if you want to know what MM stands for, you can ask me. I'll let you know. Frequency FM on Facebook. Uh, we're on Google Plus. Same thing. Uh, you can find us there, believe it or not. Yeah, what else? Info at Frequency.fm if you want to email us. Yep, do it. We'd like to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now. All right. <laughs>